This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the back of a 1983 Ford Econoline van parked outside the Wawa gas station in Edison, New Jersey, at a court mandated 1,000 yards from Al Kindle's house, this is Behind the Blacksmith, the podcast that brings you the stories of blacksmith captain Al Kindle. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. This pork roll egg and cheese sandwich is delicious, and I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Scorpios captain Zach Lytle and Diana Tarlson. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have four news items for you today. First off, let's head to Brooklyn, where the team behind Shatter is applying to the 2021 season of BattleBots with a new heavyweight called Emulsifier, a scaled-up version of a 45-pound robot they took to Motorama last year that won the award for Most Destructive. In his most recent Reddit AMA, Team Captain Adam Wrigley said BattleBots had originally approved Emulsifier for the 2020 season, but they couldn't get the timing to work out for two bots. According to renderings, Emulsifier is a tracked robot with a big plow and a chunky vertical spinner at the top. Check out photos on the Bots FC page on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, BattleBots this week published its fourth basement fight of the season between Deadlift and Bale Spear. If you'd like to check out this fight now, sign up to become a BattleBots supporter on Facebook. Speaking of Bale Spear, let's head over to Salem, New Jersey, where Bale Spear Captain Earl Pankos III is giving Bale Spear One a new job as a robotic scarecrow, designed to safely and humanely scare away deer from his crops in a new project called Deer Dash. Earl this week posted video of the original Bale Spear crossing a bumpy field using its big off-road tires and ground clearance. He also posted a photo of more than a dozen deer on his property, apparently totally unafraid of conventional deer repellents. And finally, SME Captain Joe Fabiani, P1 Captain Brandon Zielinski, and Droopy Captain Tommy Wong have banded together and apparently applied to the 2021 season of BattleBots with a new heavyweight multibot version of Kalk, C-A-U-L-K, aka Waterproof Sealant, the multibot that won the 12-pound division at last month's Norwalk Havoc. If approved, this new heavyweight, which is either an elaborate prank or a genuinely good, potentially giant nut winning idea, would include larger and heavier versions of the Beetleweights Smee, Starchild, and Droopy. If you'd like to check out the madness that is Cock, search for Waterproof Sealant and Norok Havoc on YouTube. Very quickly. Uh, <laughs> so um, we will not have a mystery guest on next week. We are going to have the team behind Waterproof Sealant, a.k.a. Cock, on uh, on next week, which I'm 
so excited about. Um, so we're going to have Joe back on. We're going to have Brandon on for the first time. We're going to have Tommy Wong on for the first time and Izzy Cow. So it's going to be like a really, really packed interview. And uh, I'm going, I'm hoping that like I can ferret out the truth, whether this is a real, uh, real idea, kind of like if they are planning on taking two robots for, uh, you know, Brandon and Joe, is Joe going to bring a massive version of Smee and a smaller version of Smee? Is Brandon mm -hmm. going to be fielding P1 and Star Child? Is Tommy going to be bringing this just giant scaled up version of Droopy? Um, I'm really excited about this. This is probably the most exciting application uh, <laughs> that I've seen so far. Um, your... I, had a weird, I had a weird thought. Yeah. What if Cock at BattleBots is actually just every builder that is not currently in that fight bringing their beetle weight <laughs> <laughs> to fight whoever the heavyweight is. Oh, oh. Uh -huh. I, I, I've not had a lot of, of faith in multi-bots in BattleBots. You know, you, you have bots like the Four Horsemen, you have bots like Gemini, um, but I have so much faith in waterproof sealant and I can't tell you why. Um, like, I just believe that if they're approved, they can go far and it's going to be ridiculous. That could be 83 Beetleweights, guys. <laughs> <laughs> can we call that segment Cock Talk? Oh <laughs> I hope, I hope that Cock does become a real thing, gets approved. And then we can just have cock talk at least once every episode. That would be wonderful. A whole segment of the show where we talk cock with cock talk. <laughs> I'm coming around on it. Okay. All right. Right. It's cock and talk, and I helped. It's exactly right, Lindsay. She just said, "If you're going to cock the talk, you better walk the talk." <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of the Tombstone episode of BattleBots Bounty Hunters. This was a redemption story for gruff Captain Sam McCamus, whose rookie season was cut short in 2019 by a controversial judge's decision lost to Tombstone. Gruff faced reliability issues in the regular season of 2020, squeaking into the championship at the number 31 seed with a 1-2 record before their championship run was cut short by Bloodsport. Those reliability issues were nowhere to be seen as they entered BattleBots Bounty Hunters, facing Gemini, Deadlift, Jackpot, Kraken, Claw Viper, Smee, and Mammoth. Their path to Tombstone met wins over Gemini, Deadlift, and an aluminum foil-clad, very shiny Kraken. But ultimately, the king of kinetic energy prevailed once again, this time earning a knockout in a little over two minutes. Kyle, I would love to get your thoughts on this episode, this redemption run, I guess, for Sam and for Gruff. Um, we saw such amazing fights fights in this episode. We saw Smee versus Mammoth. We saw this chromed out Kraken. Um, we saw Deadlift doing great stuff. Um, and Deadlift in the end, did Tombstone awesome this just, episode. Yeah. And in the end, Tombstone just came and knocked over everybody's sandcastles, which is just great. Um, your your thoughts on, on this episode? Um, so to the internet, dear the internet, Al Kindle is just as dangerous. Or Al Kindle. What? I can't believe I did that. And anyway, Ray Billings is just as dangerous, just as scary, 
and just as much the king of kinetic energy as he ever has been. Yeah. And watching Gruff get utterly demolished by him was, I mean, it's what you expected in that first Gruff fight, right? It was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is how that should have gone. Um, this was a really great Bounty Hunters. I, I liked this one. This is one of my top favorites from the series this this time around. Um, I thought that the fights were really high quality. I was super happy to see Deadlift do as well as they did. Um, yeah. Even their match with Gruff was great. It was a really good match. Yeah. Um, and they did not win it, but they did a great job in it. So, you know, looking forward to seeing that team come back next, next year if they make it into the tournament. Um, and yeah, don't mess with Tombstone and certainly don't mess with whatever upgrades Al is planning for next season. <laughs> the, um, you know, the deadlift team was was really interesting. I feel like I've seen a lot of deadlift this week, both in their basement fight and then in yeah. this Tombstone episode. Basement and, fight, not so great. Well, I mean, it feels to me like sometimes you see a robot and you can, you can tell like they just have a little bit of adjustments to make, you know, like maybe their motors aren't really geared correctly or they're not mm. talking to their electronic speed controllers correctly, you know, or they're just um, having brushless problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But they seem fixable and yeah. you look at build quality, you look at like design thinking and just deadlift looks super clean. I have, I have a lot of faith in their ability to come back in their, their sophomore season and really work through a lot of those things. I think the first season is difficult for almost everybody. And sure. um, you could tell that, that by bounty hunters, they had worked out a lot of those issues. Um, so yeah, I, I, am stoked. I, I feel like we may see a kind of tantrum esque glow up from, uh, from deadlift in 2021. Yeah, they did a really good job. Um, and their bot, I mean, I think we said this when we were talking about all of the new bots at the beginning of the season. Their bot just looks so well designed. It looks so cohesive. Uh, it looks like something that would come out of the Apple store. Yeah. Um, and they, at, when we saw it working, I think as intended in these matches, it was really, really good. And their driving was great too. Yeah. So, yeah, I like them a lot. They were the real standouts for me in this. And uh, honestly, like, this could not have been scripted better. Mm. I wanted it to be gruff and tombstone at the end, and we got exactly what we wanted. And, you know, get, tombstone getting that really decisive win was so worthwhile of a payoff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it must be nice, too, for, for Ray Billings to end the season on a Bounty Hunters win. Um, because it's, it's been kind of an up and down season for him. For and sure. I know that the bot is, is coming back with, um, with some upgrades in 2021, but you know, he's either had big wins or big losses and that's been tough to see in 2020, but, but yeah, this, this episode was, was very satisfying for all of the tombstone fans out there. I gotta wonder how much of that was him adjusting to not being a one bot guy at the tournament, mm. you know, cause he was really a part of two teams aside from hardcore robotics. He was, you know, perfect Phoenix. He was Adam 94. He was like, you know, bouncing. He's always apparently bouncing around, helping other people and like being available and offering advice and a wrench if needed to help other people get their bots together. But now it was like part of his responsibilities to be 
helping these other teams. And I, I wonder how much of that, you know, um, had him off his game. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to just see in the coming season, uh, if slash when it gets approved and, um, yeah, yeah. I, w- I would really love to see kind of the, uh, the, the tombstone return. Um, cause there's, there's a lot of, of matches left, I think in that robot and that, that platform. Yeah, for sure. And that's it for this week's news and recap of BBBH. After the break, a little ditty with Zach and Diana. Two little kids building bots outside Oakland. Oh, yeah. Bot bash party. Long after the thrill, the break of Tombstone. Our interview with Scorpio's captain, Zach Lytle and Diana Carlson. This week on the podcast, we have two very special returning guests, Scorpio's captain, Zach Lytle and Diana Tarlson. 2020 was undoubtedly the year of Scorpio's. During the regular season, the team faced Bloodsport, Perfect Phoenix, and Tombstone, and earned a major win over Ray Billings, entered the 2020 BattleBots Championship as the number 10 seed before their finals run was cut short by a judge's decision loss to Witch Doctor. The team ultimately went home with two highly coveted prizes. They went undefeated in the Ice Wave episode of BattleBots Bounty Hunters, earning several thousand dollars in the title of Bounty Hunter, and they won the Founders Award, an award given to one team each year that BattleBots founders Trey Roski and Greg Munson believe is the team that best reflects the spirit of the sport of combat robotics. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome back to the show, Zach and Diana. Oh, it's so nice. nice to be back. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, I am so excited that, that we're able to talk. It was funny, while, while I was doing my notes this week, getting ready for, for this, this interview, I realized that we talked almost exactly one year ago. Like, our our episode <laughs> with you came out, like, April 9th, 2020. And so that means we probably talked April 4th or 5th. So, like, oh literally 365 <laughs> days, like, to the day. It's crazy. It's like we had an internal clock go off in all of our heads. <laughs> I, you know, like I, I think like when when you think back to early April 2020, like the it, the WHO had just like declared COVID as a pandemic, and personally, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that you know other people thought differently, but like I thought, okay, COVID, we're gonna be back to work in like a month you know like the world's gonna reopen in like a month and like a year later like everything is different um so like i i would love to kind of just catch up from early april to now like how has your covid experience been can you tell me a little bit more about what's happened in the last 12 months well we we had to completely shut down our company bot bash parties because uh as an entertainment service, we are very non-essential. And uh, as we specialize in getting groups of people together, <laughs> that's a that's a big no-no in the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it, it was also really hard where we specialize in kind of hands-on STEM, where we put tools in kids' hands and then walk them through doing it. It it's it did not transfer well to Zoom. Because it's hard to put a drill press and a 3D printer in a kid's room and then try to teach them how to use it safely 
when you're not even present to make sure they're wearing safety glasses or clamping the drill correctly. So we we had to shut everything down. Uh, it's It's been shut down for a full year and we just started reopening parties uh, last week. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> One aspect of the company back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay, I guess like, could, could you tell us more about like pre pandemic? So I don't know, January, 2020, you are going to schools, you're running parties, you're getting ready for your summer camp. Like, can you kind of tell us like, like the size of, of the operation, like right before the pandemic hit? So we had four after school programs going on. Uh, one at each school each day of the week. So Monday we were in San Francisco. Tuesday we were down in uh, San Jose. Thursday we were in Redwood City. And Friday we had a local one in Lafayette. But all of that had to, uh, obviously the schools closed all the after school stuff when they closed. Uh, we were gearing up for summer camp and we actually had people signed up and we had a location set here in Moraga, but that all, we, it was a hard decision that we made, but where the county kept changing and extending the deadlines and kept changing the rules where we're an entirely indoor camp, um, we got put on the, you can't run list because we would have had too many people inside. Yeah. And, in too close of quarters. And then our party operation, we had like four, four people with their own set of at least eight or 12 robots doing four parties a weekend. And that, so, and, and that came to a screeching halt. Yeah. And they kept trying to reopen, but then they'd be open for a few days and then reclose and lock everything down again. And cause like basically Anytime you saw a theater open, that was that meant entertainment was allowed to start happening again. So we'd have someone and we'd try. Yeah. But it it takes us about a month to really have parties start coming in the door, get them on the books, parents send out invitations, parents talk to the other parents, and we we had a lot of cancellations because people would call in, book a party, and say, Okay, I'm now gonna get the other parents on board. And then they couldn't. And then so they, they couldn't. Mean- they'd call back and cancel. I think we had like 160 back-to-back cancellations, yeah. which was really rough on morale <laughs> yeah. and a lot of emails and calendar work when nothing actually went through. Yeah. And where, where everything was so um, unpredictable, we, we waived all of our cancellation policies. So we never charged anyone for this because it's not really this, their fault when the state tells them they can't have a party. Right. Right. Yeah. So like April, May, June, like as it kind of stretches into the summer, like, did you have a sense that you might be shut down for more than a year? We, we went through four different reopening plans of like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's start printing flyers. Let's figure out how we get the word out. And then the governor would say some new thing. (laughs) And he literally just sweep the entire board of plans into the garbage. And after the the fourth time I did that, I just kind of was like, all right, I yeah. have to just wait until this is really, really over. Yeah. So we kind of came together and decided that we were just going to yeah. say that they were not, unfortunately, they were just not going to happen. So that way 
we didn't spend all that time coming up with something only to have it immediately immediately trashed. trashed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which was also tough on morale. Like yeah. there were there were a lot of moments where we felt it it has literally been a roller coaster year for Zach and I, where we had we'd have moments of not to start this off being so like sad, but that's just how our year was. We'd have moments of feeling like it was, maybe there was a light at the end of the tunnel and then found out that there wasn't, there wasn't, (laughs) and it was just going to take a little longer. And I, I think one of the hardest moments for us was we got to June and we had run through the company's, um, operational budget. Mm. And we had to make the choice. Do we keep our apartment or do we keep our shop? Mm. And we, we decided to keep the shop. So mm. we'd have a chance to reopen Bot Bash later. Uh, we both moved back in with our families and have just been paying the rent for the machine shop with what normally we spend to pay our own rent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and, we have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, I, 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 I thought a lot about you both, you know, over the last year, um, because when I think about small business owners, especially small business owners who have so much interaction with the public, like, you know, you're, you're seeing hundreds of kids every single week, you know, um, like it just, it must have hit like so much harder for you, um, because you you can't work from home, <laughs> you know, like you can't run, can't run these parties from home, like you know, like kids can't fight robots over the internet, you know, at, at a Zoom party or something like that, you know. Um, I guess like as as you're looking forward, you know, there's the vaccines obviously out right now, and there's thousands of of Californians who are getting vaccinated every single week, you know. Um, is our is 2021 like I'm I'm assuming is looking much brighter, right? For for the company. Yeah, we've started getting. Um, I, we reopened for parties last week, and we did our first social distance party yesterday. Mm. Um, and so, unfortunately, like the summer camps, we're we're still trying to figure out a way to see if there's any way to get like a virtual thing done, but we don't think in-person camps are going to happen because it's still really odd trying to get permitting from the city on groups meeting up and where we don't technically count as daycare where we are a summer camp. It, I I know we're very daycare esque, but it's technically a different category in the state's eyes. And um, still falls under entertainment. <laughs> but yeah. there is there is a little glimmer of hope where we've seen, where we have seen the interest in our business still, still there and it's starting to pick back up that um, there is a lot of hope on my end, which of like maybe summer camps being in person in 2022, depending mm. on, depending yeah. on stuff and so yeah yeah it's it's like the like hearing hearing kind of the personal side of your story um makes the the scorpios like in 2020 story like so interesting because you know you're in lockdown and you've got you've got 
this 250 pound robot sitting, <laughs> you know, there ready to go. Um, you know, I'm curious, like how, so, and then obviously BattleBots like um, delayed the filming like a couple times, like what, what, what was your thinking like through 2020? Like, did you consider maybe sitting this season out of BattleBots or, or, um, you know, was, was that a team conversation at all um, to, to make this season go? It was a team conversation, but quite honestly, the team conversation was more like, I mean, for those that really know the Scorpios team, like, you know, that there were major players like Chewy and Dan, et cetera, that were not there. So like we did, we did respect the team, the team members that didn't want to go because of COVID. They, they had family obligations and health concerns yeah. and that it was, it, it was a choice and a risk to go to the tournament. And because in hindsight, nobody got sick, nobody got COVID. But when we were looking at like the basketball and the WWE, who WWE had to set down or shut down their season because COVID was getting everyone sick on site. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of us were looking at that going, is that exactly what BattleBots is going to be like? Yeah. But the the builders, because you were essentially all on the honor system. At the end of the day, we went to our Airbnbs and they were testing everyone every two to three days. But if somebody went out drinking and partying, they could bring it back to the whole set. And mm. you had to put a lot of trust in the community that no one would do that. And luckily for us luckily the robot community really are a lot of amazing people and there were no cases nobody got sick yeah through two weeks of us all being in cramped quarters yeah so like for the people that didn't want to go we fully respected that but for zach and i on like our own personal level like we there was never really a thought going through our head that we wouldn't go Cause like I was dying to do anything robot related. Yeah, we like <laughs> literally our whole livelihood has been on a standstill, and this was like the first thing that came to light that was anywhere near what we have set out to do with our lives. Because we so we bought all the parts for Scorpios back in February, and we couldn't return any of them. <laughs> no one buys used robot parts. Um, Sorry, I know they buy damaged ones on eBay, but you know, <laughs> ones that have not been on the TV show. Yeah. So we had the robot, and my my line of thought was like, you know, if the robot gets completely destroyed and we have to throw it away, um, we could pay less storage. <laughs> <laughs> so frankly, so going to BattleBots and having them pay for a hotel and food for two weeks could only help us stretch. Was that had a more morbid outlook on it? <laughs> Me. Just like I was just wanting to do, I was just wanting to do robot fighting again, and I know. I I saw that we couldn't lose. Yeah, I, I know we could show up and get everything destroyed, but it to me it was still a win. Yeah, it was it was soul healing for me to be mm -hmm. there and to be fight to be fighting robots and to be socially distant but around my my robot family it just it felt like home in a weird way it it was a brief bit of normal in the very middle of 
this horrible pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Did you get a chance to to work on the robot at all? Like between February and filming, um, did you take that time to to do more things on the robot, or was it pretty much ready to go in February and you just shipped it to to Long Beach? Fortunately for us, since we did decide to keep the shop, we had full access to our robot. And to the fans at home, that isn't true for every team. Yeah. Some people work on their robots through their work or through maker spaces, and both of which were closed for a lot of builders. Yeah, quite a few teams that were at filming actually didn't get to touch their robots prior to their robots being in the in the hangar. So yeah. like they literally touched their robots for the first time in six months. The At three, the, the three days before filming, you're supposed to be setting your, your pit up. We, we are kind of had a we magical were, unicorn situation that not everybody is lucky enough to have. Cause we own our own shop due to Bob Bash. Yeah. And we did use that time. We had one working robot in February and we had enough parts and we had planned out a new one, a new prototype version that was going to have a better drive system. Everything was more compact in it. It wouldn't overheat. And uh, we actually got to complete the prototype uh, before we went down. Well, it was at 95% yeah. when we went down, but it rolled in and looked like a done robot. For being right before a competition, <laughs> usually we consider it being at like, 70 or 80 percent before a competition a good so the <laughs> fact that it was at 95 percent we thought we were we thought we were like and in in the golden age or whatever yeah so we we actually showed up with two working robots and we showed up we finished the flamethrower which had been a stretch project for many years yeah many years and uh, I, I think and we used it in the Iceway Bounty. <laughs> I actually think it's one of the reasons they threw so many horizontals at us is they kept looking in there like, oh, Scorpio still has two. We could throw another hard one at him. Meanwhile, like every time we saw our fight match, we went, really? <laughs> really, guys? I like, oh, Bloodsport, one of the top ranked robots. Oh, Perfect Phoenix, the, the kid who's been winning everything outside of BattleBots. <laughs> Oh, Tombstone. Yeah. Oh, you really don't want me to have two robots anymore, do you? <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm curious. So you, you've been to BattleBots filming now multiple years. Um, from your perspective, how was the filming experience, like behind the scenes, different in 2020? I loved this filming. I, I have fun every year, but this year was absolutely amazing um they took really good care of us this year and i felt like we had lunch and dinner provided every day we had nice spacious pit areas so that we could bring each team could bring like whatever necessities they needed to to survive the long work hours and it's still you still had enough space in between pits that you weren't Seat, sitting on top of each other. So in most seasons of BattleBots, the pits are right next to each other. And it's mm -hmm. kind of their way to keep you from not spreading out and taking up a, a whole bunch of space. But obviously with 
social distance regulations they that, couldn't do that, that they couldn't do that this year. And most of the builders, like we start taking anti-cold stuff before we go down because it's such cramped quarters. We, we always joke that it's the bot flu. Like mm -hmm. who's going to bring the bot flu this year and get everyone sick. Yeah. And it's very common for us to all go home sick. Um, but this year, no, nobody got sick and I loved it. It made the whole competition just feel better to not be doing it with a runny nose or taking a whole bunch of cold medicine. Yeah. And they had like production would come by like the production people are absolutely wonderful. And I personally feel like they are some of the unsung heroes of the filming, particularly this year. They were delivering water bottles to us when we needed them. They were like bringing us our food when we needed it, if we couldn't go get it ourselves. And they were just. And the, uh, the Lincoln electric guys they brought in were absolutely amazing with the new COVID regulations. Like it was hard for us to like bring something, get in really close with them and ask for specific stuff. And so they, they were giving us a lot more suggestions and recommendations than they normally would. Mm -hmm. And it, it was absolutely amazing to have like journeyman welders going, Hey, you know, we could do it like that, or we could try this. It would reinforce the whole corner. Hmm. And by having to take a step back and let somebody else uh, have more control over the robot, it, it was really neat to see their ideas and input. And worked out really well for Scorpios anyway. Like yeah. we wound up. Because there were cracks in our frame that we had no idea were there. And hmm. when the welding team pointed, because it was after the blood sport match, we were like, how are we ever going to fix this? We were peeled open like an onion. Yeah. And, uh, he, he, they patched it all up and then they go, by the way, the cracks that started propagating, uh, they're in three other sections of your frame. You might want to look at that. And so wow. we peeled off all the paint. They were right. There were cracks there. We brought it back in and they patched all the cracks. And then it was able to take on Tombstone. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And not come apart. One, one of the cool things that I've heard from so many rookie builders this year is that, um, like, <laughs> that Scorpios came by and said hello. And like Scorpios was like the welcoming committee and Scorpios like <laughs> oh, feels so good, you know, and like really like welcomed us to the experience, even though, you know, like I'm just on the fringe of like the, the community and stuff like that. Can you talk about that? Like, did you get a chance to kind of walk around and shout from more than six feet away, you know, like, uh, and, and meet people? I, I tend to be kind of um, a, social butterfly. a social butterfly and I kind of got in this habit with uh, the previous two seasons, I would bring Pinkie Pie to the pits, to various pits and take photos, but obviously I couldn't do that this season. And so like if I was walking to and from the Lincoln tent or to and from the food area or the crafty tables or wherever, I'd, I'd always like to, kind of stop in especially with the new people because they're new and yeah. I want to I want to like get to know the team and the robot and I always because when I mean when I would when it was my first year Orion Dan would walk me to various pits and introduce me to people so that I didn't feel um 
left out, I guess, or so that I would start making my own little pot of people. And so I, it, I, it it is what I would like to have happen to me if I were in their position. So I just try to be as welcoming as possible and let people know that like, you're here, you're part of, you're part of this family. You belong. Doesn't matter what your bot is ranked. You made it here. So something I, I remembered was in season four, I was pitted like three spaces away from Paul from bite force. And like when I didn't, when I showed up and I didn't have the right tap, I went over and because Paul had these beautifully sorted cabinets and I would ask Paul for the piece and I ended up doing it three times through the whole competition. And I'm like, Oh my God, I am so fortunate. Paul came so prepared and he wasn't here this year. So I wanted to pay it forward and try to do what Paul did for me and many other teams. And so we, we had the lathe, we had a bunch of spare parts. We had the, uh, the axolotl guys, I think used our lathe more than we did. <laughs> and I, I remember is- when black widow showed up, they go, they came over cause they saw we were setting up like a whole machine shop in our pit and they go, man, can we borrow your hand drill? We brought a hand drill and we use it to get in and out of our crate, but it's packed in our crate and the crate's still closed <laughs> and nobody will lend us a hand drill. And <laughs> I so- I came, so about three months before, uh, two or three months before um, we left for BattleBots, I started buying like hand wipes and stuff to prepare to be in a pit situation for two weeks. So anytime, anytime anyone used any of our stuff, right, I always I had a massive supply. Of I always wiped it down so that it was safe for the next person to use. Yeah, and so I, I for saw... us, we didn't really have an issue lending our hand drill out to the Black yeah. Widow team because we—that's just who we are as people, and yeah. we were prepared to make it safe for us to use after they were done with it. So. And I, I remember this one moment I saw Rusty rolling by and I remember seeing the picture of the robot and I'm like, wow, that thing's going into BattleBots? It's, it's beautiful. It's like art. Why would you smash this thing? Yeah. And Rusty was just rolling by. I go, Rusty, where's your team? He goes, I don't have a team. Oh. <laughs> and he's rolling it over to the photo area. And a big thing is you have to get it off the cart by yourself all the people in the photo booth, no one's allowed to touch your robot. So the photographer can't help you get it off. The, the, uh, the pit runners aren't allowed to move it. And I'm like, you, you can't actually not do this without a team. That aspect. He made it, he made it, he made it work. But I, I went over cause he was rolling right by black widow and I go, Hey guys, remember when I lent you my drill, it's time to pay it forward. We need to get (laughs) rusty off the cart. And uh, me and three or four members of the Black Widow team went into the photo booth with them and helped them get the robot uh, first on the one photo thing, then on the big 360. Yeah, they had a lazy Susan this year. (laughs) And that was like my everything to see all the robots go on this lazy Susan to get the 360 degree. Yeah. But it. These are some of the problems new teams always have. They never have the right tools. They don't realize like what's expected of them at the tournament. 
and I I try really hard to help them iron those problems out. Yeah. And I could just be a smiling face that is not a scary, like, why aren't you ready right now? Because yeah. you get that for two weeks too, and mm -hmm. it can be stressful. So the the thing that I love about BattleBots specifically is that it feels like there's always a team that shows up, a robot that shows up, a builder who shows up who has been a fan of BattleBots like really quietly, but hasn't really identified themselves in the community. And they, they show up and their first robot's a 250 pound robot, you know? Yeah. And like, and it must feel intimidating to go in there and to walk past, you know, these legendary robots and these teams with like, you know, these huge crews and the, you know, toolboxes that are perfectly, labeled and um you know and just look look for your little pit area and and just feel like oh wow i'm like at the bottom of the ocean you know my first year was like that when i was season three i was just walking by like seeing all of these teams oh my gosh i <laughs> i know who that is and i am i am like right next to you now and yeah, yeah. i I remember in season two, like I had this little arena and I had all my little robots. Then I walked by Donald Hudson's pit and his toolbox was like his one roll away toolbox was bigger than every single thing we had in our pit area. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all perfectly labeled. Yep. Sometimes you just learn by experience. Yeah. Um, so of the rookies um, and, you know, we can just, uh, you know, fan fan boy and fangirl over rusty if you'd like for the next 10 minutes but of all of, of all the rookies you know um did you did you have a favorite person you met you know did you have a favorite rookie bot um from from all of the the new builders and the new bots this year so i do love david eaton yeah. and i do love me some rusty but i also really enjoyed getting to know the Aegis team. Like yeah. they are a lot of really cool people and they were a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and uh, I obviously, so the, the pits this year were divided into the East pit and the West pit. So really, if you were pitted, if you were assigned on the east section, you weren't really allowed to go into the west section mm. and vice versa. So the only rookies I really got to know were the ones that were near us. And mm. that was Aegis, that was Rusty, Black Widow. Um, the Do You Even Lift Bros. Yep, Deadlift. <laughs> so. Um, uh, Pain Train and Smee were on our side, and I, I do remember Smee rolling by, and Ben just goes, wait, is that one robot? I'm like, that is one <laughs> robot, Ben. The thing rolling by on two separate carts. And, <laughs> like, everybody, everybody was just really fun, and, like, for the, for, like, what we could, the amount of interacting we could do with people, which was nearly none, like pain train guys were amazing and they had chewy. So how could, how could you go wrong with that? And, um, slap box was right behind. Yeah. 
Nita on yeah. our side and Dill Pickle was next to them. Dill with it. Big Dill, Dill. with it. The big Dill. <laughs> it's hard to like some of these people, it's hard to even consider them rookies because yeah, because they are experienced drivers. Like we fought E-Man in Korea. Yeah. And he and ended up winning the entire Korean competition. And I would not call him a rookie. <laughs> Evan and Anthony on Pain Train aren't technically like so few of these people are actually legitimately rookies. It's so interesting to like even Bunny is considered a rookie this season, but she <laughs> but she's been in the sport for twenty years. Yeah. So anyway, and the jackpot team, awesome. Oh yeah. Oh, jackpot story was great. Right. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 entered as the top top like seated rookie um in the in the championship and just had such such a good run um yeah. such a surprising story too just given like the cost of the robot and how quickly it was built really just really good good building on on that team yeah. they are yeah. probably the one rookie from this season that i personally do not want to fight <laughs> the, the reach of that weapon yeah would, would is bad be, for us. Is bad for Scorpios. So if you're listening, Greg, we do not want that. <laughs> you know that make him give it to I, us. I know. We have to be quiet. <laughs> um the the last question I have kind of about the production behind the scenes is the the feel of the competition without the audience, and then kind of conversely, your ability to go into the opera boxes and watch the fights from the audience's perspective, I, you know, like I'm interested in those two things, you know, do, do, did you miss the audience? Um, is the audience like difficult, um, you know, in a normal season? So like it was actually better without the audience. Um, and then what was the experience like inside of the opera boxes? So I, I do want to say I missed the audience a lot because one of the specific things I said, like, man, no audience this year. I hope I don't get tombstone because what a shame if I win the tombstone match <laughs> and there's no audience to run into to cheer with me. And then that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, was an actual thought I had in my head. Um, it, I will admit I did love the opera boxes, but I did miss the audience. Yeah. It, it was really neat to be like, oh, this is a really big match. Quick, let's say we want an opera box and go get in the there's something to be said about looking out into the audience and seeing your peers out there cheering for you. And yeah. that does, that is really special. And I really enjoyed getting to see, getting to experience the opera boxes, but I too also really missed the audience because also looking out into the audience and seeing homemade battle bot signs that kids yeah. are holding up is really cool and having them cheer for you. Is... This is supposed to be the modern Roman Coliseum. And after yeah. you destroy someone and rip the speed controller from their robot, you want to turn to a crowd and be like, are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You brought me Tombstone and look at him now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, all right. Well, I, I, I want to get into your regular season fights, you know, starting with blood sports. I, I know that I read in your your post fight breakdown that this was the most destructive 
fight ever for Scorpio. So can you take us through that fight? What made it so destructive? And I know you touched on earlier about, um, about the repairs that were necessary, but I'd love to hear more about kind of like uh, going into that fight, the fight itself, and then after the fight. I will say I am proud of Bloodsport for the fact that they are the only people to hold the art, the honor of actually getting to our, our, our shell. Our core. Yeah. So Scorpios has multiple layers of armor. Um, you can really see this really well in the Ice Wave fight. Even as Ice Wave rips away armor panels, they're still paneling behind that. The first Ice Wave fight. In the first Ice Wave in fight. In 2018. The season three one. And it, he's designed so there's a big thick outer layer and then we have an inch thick layer of like rubber wubs. And then there's a three sixteenths layer that's behind that. And so there's, there's really three security layers and then you get to the juicy bits that we don't want people to get to inside the robot. And uh, Bloodsport holds the distinction of being the only robot to tear through all three security <laughs> layers on the front and actually make it to the juicy bits inside. And he did kill one of our speed controllers, which is eventually what lost us the match. A giant. So after he ripped the whole robot open, a shard of shrapnel went into our electronics box and killed one of our two drive controllers. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's that's what causes us ultimately to lose one of the wheel. Not that the wheel came off, but one of the wheels stopped working. And Zach was going to keep going. Yeah. Zach <laughs> like... didn't even notice that our robot was splayed open until I started tapping him to stop moving because the robot had a hole where there shouldn't be a hole. And I was like, you know, if I just had one more wheel, I, I would lead with the left side. I can still twitch. Wow. Um, so he, he definitely tore deep. One of the, one of the things I did realize after the match is we need to remove some of the paint and check welds after fights. That particular frame fought all of season four. Yep. Then it fought all of the Las Vegas matches for the Twitch competition. And then it, so it, it's already got like seven or eight matches on, on that particular frame at with that the point. With the original welds and everything. So <laughs> it, and so I not to not to take away from Justin's hit. Like he still he still He ripped us open. He ripped us open. <laughs> but it's something I was really sad though the film crew came by when I was using a sledgehammer and trying to peel the panels off because he crushed them all together. And they recorded me sledging or taking this giant sledgehammer to Scorpios to rip the panels off so I could get in the robot. And they didn't show any of that. <laughs> Good footage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I was curious about that, that kind of that, you know, the armor that, that was ripped away. I mean, like, was there shearing forces in there? Like, you know, did you, did you find that bolts had been basically cut in half? You know, like, how did that happen? No, it broke no, the it, frame itself. Yeah. All oh, the bolts oh. held. Everything was, the wedge was still completely attached to the frame. It's just the, like Zach said, the frame itself, the welds failed on that panel. It's and then it just kind of bent open. He was physically peeling the whole front of the robot off by ripping through the frame. So Zach, if Zach did twitch forward anymore <laughs> to get another hit, the whole entire front panel of the robot was, was just gonna come off. 
Yeah. Um, and then, so, so can you talk a little bit about your preparations for the next fight? I mean, were you confident that you'd be able to get the robot back into a good spot or were you thinking you might need to go with your second frame? We did definitely yeah. go with the second frame because well, it, it took us yeah. um, three days to repair all that damage. And it, cause it was, it was a lot of damage. The first <laughs> step was taking all of the paint off the frame so the welders could well, no the first step was getting all the damaged parts off the frame that's true <laughs> and then we had to take all the paint off so the welders could get at what they needed to weld and, and then we, we had to we had to chop use that angle. panel yeah we chopped off the bent panel and the mad catter guys let us use their hydraulic press and we pressed that panel as close to flat as we could get it and then we ground the edges so it would kind of fit back where it was. And then the Lincoln guys filled in all the gaps because there were some gaps. Yep. And meanwhile, we're like, okay, let's finish the last 5% on the prototype because um, there's no way the original is going to be ready. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we absolutely used the other frame for the Perfect Phoenix fight because... And we, we had a brand new robot with a brand new drive system, a brand new weapon system, and a brand new driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost everything was new for Tyler, but Bennett has actually fought Tyler already at the Junior League. So it was kind of nice to In have... Robo games. Yeah, at Robo Games. So this it was is... nice to have someone with experience against yeah. him. This is a really good segue because I'm curious about, about the makeup of your team. I think one of the really cool things is that you were able to bring some of your students with you um, to, to, to work on the pit crew. Can you tell us more about, about the team's makeup this, this year? So one of the things is a lot of our older fabricators and journeymen, they, they did either have family concerns or health concerns and had to sit out. And so this year, our pit chief was a 17-year-old because <laughs> it's quite frequent that the captain is pulled off for interviews or pulled off for photos or that there's a million reasons the production crew pulls the captain out of there. So it's important for a team to have someone who's a pit chief, who it's their job to know how the entire robot goes together, how it comes apart, what's the most important thing to be done now. Here's a checklist of 18 things. You can only get nine of them done before the fight, which are the nine most important things. And for Scorpios this year, that was Ben Shafton. He, uh, when the lockdown first hit, the robot was actually at his house getting painted. And for the first like two months, nobody saw the robot but him. Hmm. And he actually rebuilt the drive system. He <laughs> rebuilt the weapon system. Uh, Dan, Chewy, myself, we were all zooming into him on different nights and walking him through whatever the next procedure was. And he went from the TA in our camp to a full pit chief in the course of six months. Wow. And then when we found out so much of our normal crew couldn't make it and Orion and Jin had started their own new robot, I, I was very fortunate that I actually had really good students and Bennett Funk, the other teenager on our team, he's actually a RoboGames champion. He's one of my proudest stories from our summer camp program of he, he took our camps, he took our classes, he then took that into the arena on his own. He went and got himself a world championship with it in the kids division and 
he's he's an amazing driver. Uh, mm. He's an amazing builder. <laughs> mm. So uh, his boarding school closed and sent him back to San Francisco. And so he started coming out every week, just working on the robot with Ben. And the two of them did a great job getting us, getting both robots ready. And so that the prototype robot really came to life in their shop under their care and for them to be so involved for the launch of it. And we were, I, I was kind of resting on my laurels because I have the original Scorpios, the Scorpios mm -hmm. I like, the Scorpios I trust. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden that one was trashed and we weren't even sure if it would ever come back. So it was time to, for the teenagers to step up, step into the ring and show us what they could do. Was, was, there it, any, yeah, was, was there any hesitation on your part of kind of handing over the, the transmitter to, to Bennett for, for the second fight? I mean, you're, you're, you're down one, one match already. You're, you're going in with, you know, basically brutality, this 2009 winner, um, and against this absolutely monster driver in Tyler Wynn, you know, like, did you, it was, was there, was, was there any hesitation on, on your part, you know, of, of, of hand, handing over the controls? I had this conversation with Chewy and this conversation with Rob that out of all the contestants coming, uh, the one I really didn't want was Tyler. Yeah. Because I, I firmly believed he was going to win all of his matches and where he's starting as an absolute rookie with no rank, losing to him devastates your rank. Yeah. And I I knew he was going to send three high-ranked teams to low-tier ranking. <laughs> so he was absolutely the match I didn't want. And I think Diane and I both did have some concerns, but something our uh, one of our sponsors pointed out to us was, this has to be a story of a kid fighting a kid. If Diana and I go into that match, it's a no-win scenario. We either lose to the kid, and then we're the adult team that lost to the child, yeah. or we stomp him, and then we're the mean adults who are picking on <laughs> this poor eleven-year-old. Yeah. You also run a kids' party service yeah. with a summer. Kid. <laughs> right. so, so, at, as this was brought to my attention, we realized she was absolutely right, and we had to make this. This is the kids we've trained fighting the other kid. Mm. And so it was one of our big leading decisions to put Bennett on the controls. And Diana, I, I thank you so much for handing over your radio for this match. Yeah. Wouldn't, ha, wouldn't do it any other way if I had to do that all over again. Yeah. It Like he more than earned the right to try and he succeeded. He succeeded. And it, so. I, it felt that win felt really good for us because it, it was kind of an acknowledgement that we these kids really have progressed and they've come a long way from where we all started. And it, in some way it was like watching a child grow up Yeah, to actually see our students doing this. And it, I feel it, it's a reflection on us as teachers. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Yeah, it must be cool to to feel like, oh, I can rely on on this person based on, you know, the things that I taught them earlier. Um, and like they're like, that's really, really pretty cool. Um, 
and and it worked out in this this fight. Um, you know, is did you did you think it was odd that you were getting two horizontals in a row? You know, um, did you have any indication that Tombstone might be next? You know, like, you know, that I, thought did cross our mind, especially after we won the Perfect Phoenix fight. Yeah. Zach and I, we were all talking about how like they're going. Well, clearly, I, in some in some way, they're gonna do Tombstone avenging Perfect Phoenix. Uh, was a was a <laughs> idea that got shot out in one of our team discussions. I thought after we drew Perfect Phoenix, this was before we fought them. That like, okay, they gave us two horizontals. There's no way we're getting a third horizontal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, I. Uh, <laughs> I was not ready to to get Tubestone. Well, I guess I guess we were ready, but how they would tell us our matches because in previous seasons they'd gather us all up in a group, which At the obviously end of the day. they're not doing during COVID. Yeah, and they would have a big blow horn and announce who's fighting who, and we all cheer between each announcement. But this mm -hmm. year they had us download an app, and everyone <laughs> would go home to their hotels. And then uh, you would get a message at 3 a.m. that says who you're fighting. Yeah. And I woke up at 5. I'm like, oh, oh, let's see if we have a match today. Let me just roll over, flip open my phone. And I'm going through the list. I'm like, where's Scorpios? Where's Scorpios? The very end of the day, the very last thing on the list. Scorpios versus Tombstone. <laughs> main event, final match. And it was like drinking three cups of coffee because I <laughs> shot out of bed. I'm standing there well, looking at my phone. <laughs> and then he sends the text message to the team chat that we started at the beginning of the BattleBot filming. And I heard my phone go off. So I, I kind of roll over in a daze, like, who's texting me, whatever. Is it, what level of importance is this? Expecting that I would just like, check it, see who it's from, and flip it back over and go back to bed. And I saw the text message, and then I <laughs> became wide-eyed and just went, oh, crap. <laughs> and that goes right. <laughs> so we, we got out of bed, we got ready, we raced to the production, and we just started shoving. Uh, we had just gotten the frame back from welding for the original, and we're like, we don't know if the original one's going to be around much longer with all the damage it's taken. Uh, we are going to throw this to the tombstone match because we're probably not coming back. Hmm. And the prototype's still in good shape. We want to save it for uh, the 32. And the one we used against tombstone was the one you and I had had the, the most, most experience, experience with. with. So we knew all the quirks of that frame. We knew. Yeah. And so it, on top of it already being kind of damaged and like if we were going to sacrifice a frame instead of it being the nice brand new one. new one, on top of that, it was also the one we were most comfortable with. So we, we threw it back together as fast as we could. They had just finished putting all the reinforcement welding in it. Uh, we started carving up these foam mats and just shoving it in every nook and cranny because we were mm. like, Let's pretend this part breaks. We want a piece of foam here so the sharded screws don't go into the batteries. And there was so much duct tape and 
foam at the end. Uh, the top plates barely fit on, but it. Uh, we we were trying to cushion absolutely everything inside the robot, and it it did pay off because he definitely delivered the hits. When you see Scorpio's like spin sixteen times before slamming into the wall, um, all the poor batteries and electronics are being spun <laughs> inside the robot. But they survived. Yeah. <laughs> we every wire and zip tied everything down. Yeah, I, I think that that's the most remarkable thing about the show because um, when the teams come out uh, and they're they're like posing right before they put the bot into the arena, like everybody looks so calm and the robot always looks perfect. But you know, behind the scenes, there's you know talk of like which frame are we gonna run like which one is is damaged like is it too damaged to run again like you know kind of frantic activity in the pits like that part is so interesting because you don't see any of that on tv you know um yeah like the the bots just look perfect like every single time <laughs> i i do remember someone going when they saw us roll in for uh witch doctor they're like Wait a minute! Didn't that robot get crumpled like a can in its last fight? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, fighting Tombstone, I, uh, you know, like what? What did that mean for you as builders, as fans, you know, um, of the sport, and obviously, you know, kind of watching Tombstone like over the years and watching Tombstone at Robo Games, um, you know, getting getting that fight. Um, like, what did that mean for your your career as as BattleBots competitors? It, it was, it felt like a culmination of everything we'd ever done. Mm. We, uh, Orion designed Scorpios to beat Tombstone. At the end of season one, uh, we sat down, I brought in a bunch of Scorpion toys and we we're like, what robot would beat Tombstone? And the front scoops, the little thumbs that stick up at the end, uh, the choice of the cutting saw for the top attack, all of this, the cutting saw was meant to slice up his bars. The little hooks on the end were meant to go between the lower bars so we couldn't get away. The side scoopy bits are to help deflect his blade. Mm. Like the whole robot really was built to kill Tombstone. And to finally see it in action, to finally see it do what it was supposed to do, it it was amazing. <laughs> it, and uh, he's changed a lot from when we first designed it. So like the front little scoops didn't quite work as well as we wanted. And he had a lot more top armor than we were originally expecting. And I, I know Rick Russ, the uh, pit chief for the, uh, uh, for their team. He's told us that match will never happen again. <laughs> it will never happen the same way again. Yeah. And, they learned enough about our robot that they're planning a different blade to make sure they rip the wheels off next time. And I honestly wouldn't expect to have the, Any, the yeah. same fight again because that's just not how they roll. No. They learn, they adapt, we, yeah. and then they destroy. Every <laughs> lot makes a team reevaluate their robot and improve it. At least it makes every good team reevaluate their robot and improve it. Um, I, I can't even imagine as a builder facing Tombstone and kind of pressing the button and trying to 
come up with, you know, a, a strategy, you know, the, the day of, um, but for, for your team, I mean, you've been thinking about this match for years now. So we, we had the exact strategy laid out. I had, I had know a lot of Ray's tricks, how, and a lot of people always say Ray needs to put wheel guards on. When you say that, that, that means you don't understand his strategy. <laughs> he specifically exposes his wheels and he makes people rush at him because you're like, oh, this is the opportunity to get around the blade. Due to rotational inertia, he can turn one direction twice as fast as the other. And mm. he always, because the blade's trying to turn one way. So when he turns against the spin of it, it's really slow. But when he turns with the spin of it, he picks up a whole bunch of speed. And so he'll start a match driving one way and you're like, oh, this is how fast he could turn. And you start to get used to it. And then as soon as you, you're used to it and you think you see an opening, all of a sudden he pulls out that double speed spin and he rakes the side of your robot and tears all the wheels off. Mm. And one of the things you'll notice in that match is we stop several times and just rotate away from his blade. And you see that big swing come around and it comes right into our wedge. Mm. And that was planned because we were waiting for his, for that move. Wow. Wow. It's like, you know, it's weird because when you watch it on TV, it just looks like chaos, but there's actually a lot of thought and strategy that goes into it. And I feel like you've got to be really calm in those moments too. Like you can't get tunnel vision um, so that you can decide like I'm going to stop and I'm not going to strike right now because the hit is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And you still end up with tunnel vision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, so, so you end the, the, the regular season, you know, two on one record, you know, you go into the, the top 32, um, you know, how, how deep were you expecting to go in the competition? Um, you know, did, cause at the very start of the top 32, people were like, Oh, Scorpio's top eight, top four, like, you know, um, as, as a team, you know, what, what were your expectations go, going in? Uh, I strive every year to win it. Yeah. I, I never come for second place. I, and I, I know that sounds like a lot of big talk for a driver who's never made it into the top 16, but I, I honestly thought this was going to be our year where mm. we had just taken down tombstone where I, I had a special set of wedges for four wheel verts. I, I thought we were going to make it through Witch Doctor. I thought Sawblaze was going to be my biggest obstacle because I, I had plans and attachments for other robots that were potentially after him. And so I I thought if... I, I felt confident we were going to beat Witch Doctor. <laughs> and I, I was honestly thinking about Sawblaze, which I think was one of my big downfalls. Mm -hmm. Witch Doctor had such a weird season and they, they kind of like picked up steam like late in the season. Um, you know, going into that fight, uh, what 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 were your thoughts? What what was your strategy and as you faced off against Mike and Andrea? I was really surprised they didn't try to put a wedge or wedgelets on their robot. Yeah. I I was like, why are you giving up the wedge game? And when they rode straight up the robot and hit our idler, it seems very obvious now 
but I didn't actually imagine that at the time. Mm. I thought the front little spikes I had added to the robot, because not only did it have hooks on the bottom to try to high center them on us, there were spikes that stuck out the front. And uh, they should have been long enough to prevent Witch Doctor's Blade from reaching us and reaching that vital piece. But when she rams into us, she wheelies, and the whole robot tilted forward, which gained her a couple inches, and she hit the idler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one hit basically gave her the whole damage score. Right, right. Because it happened so early on, we didn't have an opportunity to score any damage points, and it uh, essentially puts the whole match towards her. Hmm. So even, even though we outdrove her, even though we pushed her all around and got her into all the hazards, um, it if she got one control point or one aggression point, the score clicks to her. Yeah. It, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. And when you watch um, Bounty, and this was aired out of order, like if you had Discovery Plus, you saw our Bounty Hunter before you saw this match. The right. crazy armor we bring in for Hypershock, we actually designed all that after we fought Witch Doctor. Oh, and we were like, this is how we would prevent this in the future. Huh. Wow. So like the iteration is happening like over the course of just a couple days. Correct. Wow. Good segue into Bounty Hunters. I mean, so we, we saw the Ice Wave episode of Bounty Hunters on cable, and I know that people saw it um, a couple months ago on Discovery+. Plus, But absolutely fantastic episode. Um, you went undefeated in, in that and won, won the bounty. Spoilers, obviously. Um, well, but, uh, <laughs> and, and a rematch, you know, against Ice Wave, which is pretty cool. Um, so, and Hypershock. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, so... Um, first off, just kind of like stepping back as fans of the sport, you know, can you talk about the Bounty Hunters format? Did you like the format? Um, you know, like as fans watching it on TV and, and on the app later, you know, um, is, is it like a fun twist on BattleBots? Like your, your thoughts on, on this spinoff? So originally we got notified of Bounty Hunters and the potential for Bounty Hunters as we were loading the car to go to season five. Hmm. So I, I want you to picture this. You prepare to go fight for the nut. And then they tell you as you're about to drive to the event, there'll be two tournaments, not <laughs> one. <laughs> and uh, when I first saw it, I thought there's no way someone could win this. It is so weighted to have the bounty robot or the uh, boss robot win. Yeah. Because you have to go through four fights and then they're coming in fresh. There's not a single robot would ever win one of these. And that, that was my honest thought when we went down there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, and uh, I actually enjoyed it. I, I, at first I was very, down on the concept and the idea but where we got knocked out so early it was great to have a reason to rebuild both robots to get both robots running again and then to have another tournament to do hmm. and i sincerely hope uh they do it again yeah i, I don't want to be a bounty boss i actually enjoyed running the tournament so much i hope they let us take a crack at another one <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, uh, so so you you fought four robots. Um, you fought, let's see, Black Widow, P1, Hypershock, and Icewave, if I'm remembering correctly, right? Yeah. Um, so um, Black Widow was such a cool bot, like such a cool match. Um, you know, Black Widow is is the closest robot to me, like geographically, because we we both live in upstate New York. So I have a special spot in my heart for for the Black Widow team. And it was really cool to see them come out and see like their legs moving and everything and the silly string. Um, and P1, you know, like also kind of a Northeastern bot and, you know, see Brandon all the time at Norwalk Havoc. Um, so like, it was really cool to see, you know, see those, those matches. Um, as, as you got into Hypershock and you got into Ice Wave, um, you know, like these are two like pretty high kinetic energy robots, you know, with two really different weapons. How, how did you prepare your strategy? Kind of like the, the end game, like now six, six fights, you know, in the last two weeks and you're running out of spares, I'm sure. And, and all of that. Um, can, can you talk about like those, those last two matches? Well, I, I do want to touch on, because these affected the last two, was when we tried the flamethrower for the first time, we actually burned up the clutch that's inside our robot's arm. Really? And so when you see a little bit of smoke coming out of us at the end, uh, that was us roasting the clutch. <laughs> and when we went into the P1 fight, that's when and maybe Diana can talk about this when she was hitting with the arm, it was retracting instantly without us trying to retract it, which tells us the, the clutch is dead. Hmm. And we, we were actually concerned because we knew if the clutch isn't working, right. That means self-writing isn't working. Normally Scorpios gets up and down without a problem with its arm. You, you saw it in Lockjaw season four, we get flipped upside down the same way we got flipped upside down with P1 and the robot just gets right back up. But the flamethrower broke the clutch and then the clutch, <laughs> and then we couldn't self-write. We were saved by the bell in that fight. And uh, when we went back where we started, we replaced the clutch and we didn't catch that during Witch Doctor, she sheared the keyway. Hmm. Because one one of the reasons we were running the flamethrower is both hammer saws were broken at the end of season five. Because one went, uh, we went weapon to weapon with Tombstone and it just wasn't quite working right because it got a little twisted. And uh, Witch Doctor crushed the idler on the other arm. So we were, we had two broken weapons we were trying to repair. And then we damaged the clutch with the flamethrower during Black Widow which only multiplied our weapon problems. So before Hypershock, we were so bent on getting the new armor on, we just slapped a new clutch on without doing much inspection. And uh, the arm still wasn't working right because the keyway was shredded. For Ice Wave, we actually got everything working perfectly. Yeah. The clutch was working, the arm was swinging at full speed, the blade was spinning up properly and our very first hit with ice wave. If you watch it very carefully, you'll see this little white piece fly out of our robot. It's the chain tensioner. It wow. keeps the chain on the blade. 
And throughout the whole ice wave match, the reason sometimes we'd hit them and it looked like it wasn't doing much, it's because the chain would fall off the sprocket and it was just rubbing on the hub without actually being on the teeth. So we weren't, it, it was turning, but it wasn't spinning at full speed. But then moments the chain would click back onto the gear and we'd all of a sudden get a normal full hit. And then the full hit would make it pop off again. And <laughs> so uh, the weapon was very inconsistent during the ice wave match. Yeah. And uh, that the whole bounty, it's kind of one reason we're trying to redesign the weapon system from the ground up is the bounty just kind of revealed different issues we had with the interchangeable weapon systems. Mm. Yeah. I, I definitely want to ask uh, more about kind of upgrades, to the 2021 version of Scorpios, but first I have to get to the founders award. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it's such a such a big honor in the community, you know, um, to to get this as the team that embodies the spirit of BattleBots, embodies the spirit of combat robotics. Um, afterward, you published this amazing video um, talking about the Founders Award. But I, I'd love to to hear your your thoughts on it. Um, you know, getting getting this award and and what it means for for you um, and and the team. Well. It, in a lot of ways, this felt better than winning the giant nut. And yeah. I, I might sound a little weird where that's something Diane and I have been striving for for nearly 20 years. Because um, this, Terry Slocum, uh, the pit chief for Vlad the Impaler, once told me that in order to win the giant nut, you need a good robot, you need a good driver, and you need a good amount of luck. You need about equal amounts of all three. And it it wasn't luck that got us the Founders Award. It was everything we've done from working with all the different kids, from working with the schools, from working with other teams. It It was something not because we did well and we got a lucky bracket that we were able to have some good matches. It was almost like a lifetime achievement award of yeah. everything we've been striving for, everything we've been trying to do, and an acknowledgement of the good things we've done for the community. And it, it really was the highest, best note of 2020 for me and Diana. Yeah. When we say this has been one of the worst and best years of our life, it's... True. <laughs> the... Uh, this season of BattleBots was probably one of the funnest things we've ever done. And watching our business get dismantled has been one of the worst things that's ever happened. Yeah. Having them just a few months apart from each other has been a, uh, a roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, and in 2021, you need to win the uh, <laughs> the giant nuts so you can fit them together and, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, have a 89 pound uh, <laughs> like combined combined award that you can put somewhere, you know? Um, that's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. Life dreams. Life dreams. <laughs> we, 
we were making jokes the other night during a, a build session that the new weapon was going to win us the most destructive award because we're we're trying to plan on like double power in the weapon system for next year. And then uh, Dan chimes in and goes, yeah, and then we're going to put the AI system to make Rex walk better. And then we're going to work the Grant Imahara Award for that. And then we'll have all three giant bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good segue into to 2021 improvements. Um, so first off, uh, the cool thing about, about these robots is that they come back year after year and they look cosmetically the same, but I know that there's a lot of of differences and a lot of thought that kind of goes into uh, into improvements in the in the off season. So when we see, you know, fingers crossed, when we see uh, Scorpios in the battle box again later this year, what will be different if everything goes according to plan? Everything goes according to plan. Uh, the drive, the tires, and the armor are all staying the same. We were very happy with all three of their performances. We are rebuilding the weapon from the ground up. We're going to have a new weapon motor, uh, a, a new weapon motor from um, Scorpion Scorpion Motors. Hmm. We have a new speed controller from Castle Creations, and uh, we just got a brand new AR500 blade from Van Bever Brothers. It's two pounds heavier. It's a beautiful asymmetric blade designed by Ben Shafton. It's we're no longer going to hit with the round part of the blade. It's going to be a hundred percent tooth nice sharp tooth impact so if everything goes according to plan we will destroy other robots <laughs> yeah. um, the arm is gonna we we already replaced the servo and the clutch system to the point where the arm has more power in it and we've self-righted from a bunch of different positions and also like messed up the clutch and it still self-rights so we are we're confident we are never going to get stuck like that again unless the whole arm gets ripped off knock on wood knock on wood god now <laughs> greg's gonna shoot for that um <laughs> rotator every other match no no but the the whole weapon system is gonna look ridiculously different and it's gonna hit a lot harder people are not gonna recognize the robot if everything goes according to plan yeah yeah they'll say the, this is a new Scorpios that wants some stuff. Is this stuff Scorpios dead. or is this Sublace? No, oh god, I want that to end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so we we had Jameson go on the show a couple weeks ago, and uh, somebody asked about the the difference that you know from his perspective between Scorpios and Sublace, and he said that Scorpios has superior defense, and mm -hmm. Sublace has slightly stronger offense. I'm curious, you know, with the 2021 upgrades, are we like, you know, really optimizing more for for offense, you know, in 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 the new Scorpios? Um, is you know, how how do you get that extra weight? I guess. I mean, is it is it just the brushless kind of system that that gives you that those extra pounds in the uh, in the weapon? It is going to be that we streamline the servo. Um, previously, we made the servo on a manual Bridgeport mill, and it was very square and blocky. This year we're CNCing it, and it's a very beautiful piece of machined aluminum. Uh, but we specifically took two pounds out of it so we could put those two pounds in the blade because kinetic energy is uh, one half the mass times velocity squared. Sorry, we're teachers. We're still teaching. <laughs> uh, 
So having a little more mass will help, but also getting it up to speed will help a lot too. We got a, uh, thanks to thanks to my beautiful, beautiful wife, she got me a tachometer for Christmas and we're using it to actually measure the robot's output. And I, we had a bit of a horrifying realization. <laughs> uh, we lost half the robot's speed because we over tightened the belts. We nerfed ourselves for season five. <laughs> so we ran a test. Dan threw the robot together really quick just because we wanted to see what it was running at. And our theoretical maximum on the blade was 4,200 RPM. And when we fired it up, we got 4,000 RPM, but it sounded so much louder than I'd ever heard it. And it seemed like it was spinning a lot faster than I saw it at the tournament. So I, I went through and I started checking stuff. The chain tensioner was still destroyed from ice waves, so it wasn't on there causing friction. And Dan had set the V-belt really loose. I'm like, well, this isn't how we run a competition. Let's crank the V-belt down tight and let's machine a new idler to stick on here. And we put all those things on and we we lost so much. <laughs> like It was almost half. We lost 40% of the speed. Because the brushless, it was a non-censored brush. Do you even system. brushless, bro? <laughs> so, no. So it it didn't realize there was a lot more load on it, and it wasn't spinning right, and so we lost forty percent of the speed. And since kinetic energy, the speed is squared, that means we were running at like twenty-five to thirty percent of the actual ke we could have put out, which uh, all of a sudden the weapon not working very well makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You could hear the face palms for miles away. Yeah. That and you have to realize we put all, almost all of our energy the previous season into getting the new drive system working, and our new drive system was amazing. It, yeah. it out pushed, out drove everybody. It was everything I hoped it would be, and the weapon was kind of an afterthought because. Castle sent me these brand new parts and motors that were amazing and bench tested awesomely. And we installed them and they worked perfectly right out of the gate. And I just didn't realize as we started tightening things down, the issue it caused. Castle mm. already sent us a new censored version of it. Mm. And we're anxious to put that in and see if that just solves all those tension issues right off the bat. We're going to put a video up about that. Yeah, I'm so excited about 2021 Scorpios. You know, great drive, great, great defense, um, great weapon. Uh, yeah, like I, I hope 2021 is also the year of Scorpios. You know, like I, I just, I love, I love watching this, this team and this robot um, progress, which is really, really cool. Um, so we, we got a bunch of listener questions. And um, they're in kind of no particular order. So <laughs> maybe we could just fly through these and uh, just be prepared for stuff to come out of left field, I guess. Um, yes. So our first listener question is from Dane Ironfoot, who asks, Zach, have you ever thought about doing voice acting? You during the Witch Doctor fight was amazing. <laughs> That's a very flattering question. Uh, I... I have not actually done that. That's something Dan does. He actually does voice acting for different really? YouTube channels. And he has a beautiful setup for uh, all the right mics and all the right stuff. And I know he helps his local church do all their AV and get their videos up for social distance past or um, 
Sunday services. Um, I have not personally thought of doing that, but I do have fun doing the voiceovers on our YouTube channel. Stop running away! <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, I would say think about it because I think you have a beautiful voice and uh, you could run a great podcast or um, yeah maybe uh, maybe a video video game character or something you know which would be pretty awesome. Um, Sporkanot Captain Lilispect asks, "How do I make a robot look like a scorpion?" Asking for a friend. Dot dot dot. <laughs> um, grab a bunch of transformer toys and start tracing parts off of them. Hmm. Yeah. There, a few favorites are Scorpionok from the Beast War series. Uh, there's a Scorpionok from the Headmaster series, and oh, one from the movie. Oh yeah, the other Scorpionok from the Transformers the movie. And then in the Energon series, there's a uh, Energon Beast Scorpionok. Oh my god. They're they're even all named the same thing. <laughs> well, that's the one they have the trademark on. <laughs> they just keep reusing it. All right. We are big fans of Sparkanok and of Lilith. So uh best of luck on the uh on the builds in the off season. Shuntcast co-host Dale Bruce asks, Will you be making a giant bolt yo-yo? That's a great question, Dale. Uh, you know, could you could you make a 45-pound yo-yo out of uh out of the giant bolt? Uh, we need to win the nut first to balance it out. True. True. <laughs> Steel cabling. But Dale, that is not a no. <laughs> um, all right. Jake Anderson has has a serious two-part builder question. First, how does it feel to do the thing? <laughs> Doing the thing felt amazing. To, <laughs> to actually see the robot do what it, it was supposed to do. Like I, I can imagine for the slammo captain when he finally got the sumo plex with the robot, that must have felt amazing for him. And mm. uh, for us to actually beat Tombstone, it, it it's definitely one of the top moments of my life. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. and it rivals our wedding day. Yeah, that <laughs> that came from my wife, my beautiful beautiful wife. <laughs> Uh, second part of his question, it looks like you've got all the little bits sorted. Is there anything unexpected you found that you needed to do for reliability? Mm. Uh, I'd say everything in Hide our, our system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, our clutch needs, or our, sorry, the idler needs to be better protected. We've come up with procedures to help uh, check the clutch between matches. And the tensioner. And we are currently, yeah, working on trying to figure out the best way to do belt tension consistently to not affect the weapon system. And the chain tensioner. And the chain tensioner. Make sure. <laughs> now, now that the drive system works, all of those all were the unexpected, <laughs> and they they will hopefully, fingers crossed, never be issues in the future. Uh, we've got uh, a note here from Mario Cast who writes, Zach and Diana, congratulations on Bounty Hunter. Could you please describe what type of robotic classes that you teach children? Uh, so we have six different courses in our summer camp. Cool. Our two most popular ones are basic combat and advanced combat. We walk kids through day one. We let them have a tournament with our robots. We then... Tell the them the 150 rules. gram ones, yeah, yeah. Not, like, not Scorpios. <laughs> they don't get to, yeah. <laughs> um, we we have small mini robots they get to fight with that are only 150 grams each. They're like twice the size of the hex bug toys. Uh, 
We then explain the rules of robot fighting, how you can't have a gun or a mine. They then build the drive system the next day. They do the radio and electronics on the third day. They do weapon and armor on the fourth day. And on the fifth day of our camp, they have a tournament with the robots. Um, in order to have a full day, we have four other smaller programs. One is Demolition Derby, which is our physics camp. With RC cars. With RC cars. Because we already have a battle arena, so why not do more fighting in it? We then have um, animatronics, where Diana teaches kids to do all kinds of fun things to help robots express emotion and move in creative ways. Cool. We have our bot hockey camp, which is really our teamwork camp. And we have our 3D printing camp, which is basically our computer modeling camp. And we oh. have the Lego. And our Lego robotics camp, where we teach coding. Yeah. I, I must imagine that for kids who are hands-on learners or for kids who might struggle with reading about physics or engineering in a textbook, but be able to see it in a robot that they build themselves must be really, really cool. It must be it must be awesome to see these kids come in and like a week later, two weeks later, you know, they're they're actually building things and gaining confidence and you know learning yeah. stuff like that. That must be really really gratifying. It really is. Like we have definitely had a few more than a few kids that we have seen that aha moment in their in their face, and you can just tell that they all of a sudden something clicked and. I, that is one of the things I love about what we do is getting to encourage that and see kids really find their place in what they like to do. You said it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Mario has, uh, has a two part question. So the second part is about the weapon. He says, we finally saw your new claw like crusher arm used for the first time and it worked great. Do you all plan on increasing the saw blade size or changing the design for added destruction? So uh, Dan Chatterton, uh, he's been working with Alan Cecil from Taskbot, and those two spearheaded the flame-throwing scorpion tail, and they are already hard at work doing insane things. Um, they've found a way to turn the fire blue. Yay! And, wow. Um, it, it makes quite the spectacle. We're gearing up a special servo just to help run the arm so we don't damage it again. Because we also had some surprises uh, when we used that arm, other than the fact that we were burning up our clutch. We didn't realize it could lift, but yeah. it can lift. <laughs> and uh, we also discovered in the fight, we. I tried to dial it back a little bit because we were burning up all of our fuel in two minutes and I wanted it to last three minutes. And I dialed it so far back, we left with 60% of our fuel tank still on the robot. So once again, we nerfed ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so the we fire could have been twice as big. And uh, we need to stop nerfing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so we want it to come back with. Um, the blue fire we want it to hit twice as hard and we want to really dig the scorpion tail completely into someone and then lift them into the air <laughs> awesome i love that um and i'm going to give the last word to pain train captain evan arias who writes why are you guys so awesome question mark thank you all for the love and support heart emoji 
Well, he's awesome. So being around awesome people makes makes me, you awesome. Makes you awesome. So yes. helps yes. encourage the awesome. Well, you know, I think that your story of um, paying it forward and being such stewards and ambassadors for the sport is so incredible. Um, talking with with both of you is always just such a delight for for us. Um, so thank you so much for for spending the last hour with me, and I am really looking forward to seeing Scorpios in the Battle Box again soon, hopefully later this year. Thank you for having us back. We really enjoy being on the show and talking with you. And it, it is a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to highlight the community and spread the word about the show. And thank you for all your efforts. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. from the break time for robots around the world this week we're heading back to cambridge massachusetts where a team of engineers at mit have outfitted a robot with the superhuman ability to see through walls and pick up objects when they're totally obscured from view the robot called rf grasp uses radio waves to find hidden objects and then use a combination of RF technology and computer vision to pick up the object on the other side of the barrier. The researchers say this technology could eventually be used to identify specific boxes in a warehouse or a specific tool in a jumbled up toolbox. Yeah, I'm sure those are the only applications for this technology and it would never ever be used for anything weird, creepy, nefarious, or anything of that nature. Totally above board. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Just find a box in a warehouse. What's the big deal? Finding tools in a toolbox, not people in a crowd who are trying to hide from the police bots. Yeah. What what would even make you think of that, Luke? That's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think the boxes are over there next to the uh, locker room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh it's it's interesting. I mean, like like RF RF waves are are pretty interesting. Um, and I mean, so far the the big challenge with self driving cars and robots that navigate their way down streets and stuff like that is that they can only see what their camera picks up. But if we can give them the ability to see better than a human can, you know, you you make these really really safe objects. You make cars that are 100% safer than people when they're driving at night and they can look through a forest and see how far the deer are away because, you know, they, they have, I don't know, heat seeking. Um, oh, wow. Um, and yeah, you know, like, like maybe even like in the future, like drive, drive down a, a dark country road with their lights completely off because they can see everything in the dark uh, better than we could even in full daylight, which is uh, pretty cool. I don't know which dark country roads you live next to, Luke, but that sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, in, in the world where where every single car is like level five kind of, self-perception, uh, you know, perfect self-driving. 
you won't need headlights and you won't need uh, stoplights. I'm talking about, you know, 200 years in the future when, when all cars are self-driving um, and cars will dr be driving 150 miles an hour or levitating, I guess, um, and using RF vision maybe and heat kind of seeking um, cameras to keep people perfectly safe, which is pretty cool. I will say this that makes me feel less creepy about this robot. In the video, it's seeing through packing paper <laughs> in boxes, not drywall or brick walls or cars. Um, so that's good. Uh, the other thing is the people sponsoring this. So you have the Science Foundation, NTT Data, uh, Topan, Topan Forms, Abdul Latif James Walter or Water and Food Systems Labs. In other words, everybody sponsoring this literally just wants it to unpack boxes. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. I mean, if DARPA was on here, I'd have questions. So uh, this weekend, I was playing the very popular card game Old Maid with a six-year-old. And uh, the whole premise of the game is to draw cards and get matches and not uh, end the game holding the old maid because otherwise you lose. So uh, I imagine having some type of see-through robot that could see the cards and make sure that I don't end up with the old maid every single freaking time. I want to I use that robot. You need to cheat to crush this five-year-old and old maid? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's legit. Yeah, this robot cannot play cards with me. That is true. I would not allow it. You got to teach this new generation that not only uh, do you not win everything, but chances are uh, a robot in the future is going to take your job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. See you later.